<clears throat> All right. Happy New Year. Um, I anticipated a more intimate-sized gathering this morning um, for obvious reasons. So thanks for being here. Hope you had a great New Year's Eve. Are we just like the old people who couldn't quite make it to midnight? Is that, is that who we are? Is that what's happening here? <clears throat> Maybe. I don't know. We made it to midnight. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say um, it was wild. Oh, it was wild. We watched a movie and played a board game. It's crazy, crazy. It was lovely. All right, happy new year. Let's go to, we're gonna look at three Psalms this morning. Not Psalms three, but three Psalms. We're gonna begin with Psalm 21 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can try to find that, or if you'd like to look at the screens, it'll be up there as always as well. Psalm 21, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You've given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings and set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked for life of you and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. The king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Turn me down just a little bit, Jared. Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for these, uh, these ancient words that you inspired um, long ago. Lord, I pray that this morning as we consider what we've just heard, Lord, won't you, won't you speak to us in a way that, in a way that these words become more than just an ancient record, but it would be your words to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we've been on break I'm talking about my family, my kids. I've got three kids, 13, 11, and 9. So two of them are middle school, and one of them is in the fourth grade. Um, one of my fatherly duties is to give my kids a ride to school, and I do that every morning, and I love it. Um, it's just sort of that one um, sort of fixed part of our schedule that I'm, I'm going to connect with my kids. Oftentimes, I'll leave early in the morning, and depending upon the day of the week, I won't be back until just in time to pray for them as I tuck them in bed. But the morning school run is my, my opportunity to connect with them. And uh, my middle schoolers, one of them is sitting right here, so don't worry, Isaac, I'm not going to say anything inappropriate. But they're doing pretty well right now. They're enjoying school. They're loving it. Um, they're at a really cool little private Christian school called Trinity Academy, just down the road from here on Mississippi. My fourth grader, um, he's having a bit more of a challenging time. 
And uh, most mornings, he's not particularly excited to go to school. In fact, I think he's like developing a bit of an ulcer. Um, it's just, it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard season uh, in, in his life. And uh, occasionally we'll be driving to school and I'll make this powerful, deeply theologically true statement to him before I drop him off. And I'll say, my boy, you know, today could possibly be the best day of your life thus far. And he'll look at me, the same way some of you are looking at me right now, as if to say, not helpful. (laughs) Not helpful. But true, but true. Um, In fact, you might say, well, what do you mean it's theologically true? I think it's true, I believe it's true, that as a young follower of Jesus, which Judah is, it could actually very well be the very best day of his life thus far. Because God loves to bless his people. As we just read, God blesses The king, he gives long life to those who ask for it, and he gives us the desires of our hearts. The New Testament begins to build this case for how all of the promises that God has made in his story, in the Psalms, in the beginning, all the way up until the advent of Christ, The New Testament builds this case that actually in Christ, all of the blessings, all of the promises of the king to the king to God's people have been fulfilled in the Christ. And in Jesus, I am what the Bible calls like a co-heir with the king. In Christ. I am a fellow heir of the king. I'm seated with Jesus on his throne, and therefore every promise of healing, help, blessing, joy for the king is for us as well. Verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. This is in the New Testament. Paul writes, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Galatians chapter three, verses 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith and heirs according to the promise. Ephesians chapter two, verse six. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus as Christians, as a child of God in Christ. I'm totally allowed to search the scriptures for all of the best promises and find real hope in them as a co-heir, as a child of God. And I know some of you are thinking like, mm, that's, that could get a little out of hand. That could, you, you could really begin to proof text. Um, are you sure about that? Mm-hmm. Ah, I stand on it. 
That's as audacious as it sounds, that's exactly what the scriptures, and in particular the New Testament argues for the children of God in Christ. It's not just the king that's blessed, but in him I get to become like a co-heir. And to be sure, there's some kind of mystery wrapped up in that. I mean, I've spent many, many of an hour in seminary essay trying to unpack what in Christ even means in Christ. But in Christ, I'm blessed, I'm healed, I'm saved, I'm helped. I have every reason to think that today might actually be the very best day of my life. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that may, we may be also glorified with him. Um, if you only read half the verse, then to be sure, you could end up with a pretty wonky kind of theology and just find all of the best bits, name them, claim them, call yourself rich in Jesus, etc., etc. But there's, there's more to it than that, to be sure. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, provided I'm willing to suffer with him as well. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. That's the next psalm. Hmm. You know, all four of the gospel writers begin to um, quote extensively from Psalm 22 when we get to the part of the story where the king is being crucified on a Roman cross. Jesus himself cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is the king, and he himself is experiencing the promises and the reality of Psalm 22, which is why it would also be profoundly Maybe not so helpful, but theologically true. If I were to say to my fourth grader, my boy, you know, today could very well be the most painful day of your life thus far. That's true, right? And that's life, is it not? That's life. It's likely that this year will be a mixture of some incredible days 
days where you may just think to yourself, man, I am a blessed child of God. Jesus does love me. I have evidence all around me. Look at how blessed I am. I'm healed. Desires fulfilled. I'm happy. And then there will be other days where you may feel more like, no, I think Psalm 22 is the more appropriate um, description of what I'm feeling today. It's hard to even imagine, much less actually believe that there's a God in heaven who cares. And that is life. That is just life. And life for those who would follow Jesus. That's true, yes? Theologically or biblically, that is true. Jesus never promised us, follow me, trust me, obey me, and you'll just only ever experience the blessings. He says, you will be blessed if you trust and obey me, provided you're also willing to go where I go. And that is actually to the cross. You will experience Psalm 21 and Psalm 22 if you trust and obey me, Jesus tells us. Most of us would like to believe or hope that in the end it'll all be worth it. Maybe you've thought this way before. Perhaps you're hoping that in the end, the good years or the difficult days, the painful or the the good days will outweigh the painful days. Um, that's human. I'm sure Judah's hoping that. Although, to be fair, and I don't want to say too much. So I, don't, I don't want to out the boy, but we talk about this stuff. I think it's also true that there are moments in life when perhaps if we were to do the math, we might quickly conclude that actually I think, I think the painful days have, are far exceeding the good days thus far. But there's always heaven. There's always, there's always the promise of hope fulfilled in the next life. And that's true. That's actually a really important point. You might have thought that I was going to maybe be like, oh, but don't think that way because that's just a cop. No, absolutely. Don't forget that Jesus constantly reminded his followers that in this life, in this life, it will be difficult and you will lose your life and there'll be, there'll be a lot to sacrifice. But remember, this is only the beginning. And whatever you give up in this life is in fact a means of storing up treasure for yourself in heaven. And that's real. And look forward. Be excited about the reward to come. It's not a super popular message these days. I can't remember the last time I heard a, a, a preacher go on about, you know, life is hard, but hang in there. Heaven's going to be great. But I think that's like a fundamental uh, Christian truth. But what about this life? What about this life? Because I would also want to quickly add uh, that I don't recommend merely holding on for the life to come. Keep it before you. Anticipate and look forward to enjoying like eternity in G with Jesus in heaven. But not at the expense of missing out on like a solid 90 years on planet earth in this life. So what about this life? What about this life? Psalm 23. We sang it this morning. 
not planned. Well, someone planned it, but it wasn't me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or deep darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Could be the best year of your life. It could be the worst year of your life thus far. I think the best thing I could say to my boy is, my boy, whatever happens today, remember, Jesus is with you. He's with you. Hold out your hands to receive good things from him today. And don't be afraid when things get dark. Whether today turns out to be the best or the worst, remember he is with you. Listen to his voice. Stay close. Whether you're battling demons or getting coaxed away by the many temporal comforts of this life, he will guide you, restore your soul, and give you strength for every moment. Practice listening to his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. His sheep hear his voice. He's closer, always closer than you realize. Jesus is with you. He loves you. He's faithful. He knows you, and he knows right where you are. I think there's a reason Psalm 21 and 22 precede Psalm 23. The scriptures are so um, unashamedly honest about life, about what it feels like to live in a world that is broken, still affected by sin, by my own foolishness by my brokenness, by my hope that's still not fulfilled, not perfectly, not in the way that I long, that eternal ache that we talked about a couple weeks ago. So, maybe a bit sobering. It's just not helpful to say, you know what, this could be the best year of your life. Well, it could be. It could be. And if that's where you're at, if that's what you're hoping for, then dang it, camp out in Psalm 21. Just cling to it. Memorize it. Claim it for yourself. Say, Lord Jesus, I am in Christ. I love you. I believe you. I trust you. 
I'm, I'm attempting to surrender my life to you. Lord, would you bless me? Would you restore my soul? Would you help me? Would you heal me? Would you patch my marriage back together? Would you, would you, would you give me the job, the career that I've been crying out for? Would you give me a family to belong to? All of the things that can actually like threaten to just crush one in the ups and downs of life. Or perhaps you like Judah might hear me say that and think to yourself, that is not helpful at all. I believe that God can do anything. I believe that our Father is the master of redemption. But that's not my reality right now. And I'm actually okay with the fact that that may not be my reality until I finally go home to be with Jesus forever. To you I would say, meditate on the words of Psalm 22. You're not alone. Jesus, our faithful king, knows. He understands. He empathizes. He's with you. And although you may feel like you've been abandoned, you're not alone. Jesus promised over and over and over again, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. In fact, I would even argue that the Son of God was forsaken so that we would not ever be in Christ. He became cursed that we might be blessed. He took on our shame that we might take on his righteousness, that we might be clothed in his life, his hope. And maybe, you know, it'll it'll depend on the week. Most people start out the year with high hopes. I'm into that. Some people poo-poo New Year's resolutions. I get it. I have. But at 47 years, 47 years old, I'm actually looking for every opportunity I can like grab a hold of to just motivate myself again. I'm like, all right, new year. New year. Let's, let's give it another go. Let's, get, let's try again. Anything's possible. This could be the best year of my life. I'm a bit of an optimist, really. But I also know that, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I told my boy this morning, my fourth grader, who's kind of struggling with school and kind of life a little bit at the moment. Um, he's on this diet, and I hope this is okay. I'm sharing some of our personal family stuff. I won't say too much. Um, but he's struggling with his stomach at the moment, and he can't eat hamburgers or fries or anything deep fried or donuts or Pepsi, like all of, you know, all of God's blessings in this life. And um, I was up early this morning thinking, just feeling a little, little bit bad for my boy. And you ever have one of these moments where you're thinking something and all of a sudden you become aware that God might actually be speaking to you? What you think is just like your, your inner voice, just a thought. And all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, I think, I think the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to me. You never really know for sure. You have to kind of test it. You, you take that feeling, you hold it up to scripture, and then maybe you submit it to some trusted friends, and that's kind of the process of hearing 
Jesus' voice. But I had this moment where I thought Jesus was speaking to me. And he said, you know what? You, what would really encourage your boy is to not just feel bad for him, but to feel bad with him. Like walk with him in the name of solidarity. And so I told Judah just before we started our service this morning, um, I said, my boy, I decided, I told him, I said, I think Jesus told me to do this. I'm not sure, but I think Jesus told me to, um, to walk with you in this journey. So if you can't eat it, I'm not going to eat it. If you can't drink it, I'm not going to drink it for as long as it takes. I don't think I've ever seen my boy like that touched. He's like, thank you so much, Papa. And we hugged. Every once in a while, I, I feel like a good dad. <laughs> um, it's going to be hard. I'm not looking forward to that. It could be the worst year of my life. Probably be really good for me, actually. <clears throat> Jesus is with you. Whether you're having the best year or the worst year, um, the point isn't to just try to avoid the hard stuff. And well, of course, we're all going to avoid the hard stuff to the best of your ability. And in fact, I think the more we trust and obey Jesus, the more likely we are to experience his blessings. I mean, that's how it works. He says, follow me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you down this path. I'm going to lead you beside still waters. I'm going to comfort you. So follow me and trust me, and you will experience the life you're looking for. Usually it doesn't feel like what you thought it would, um, but Jesus will bless you. But it'll also lead us to the cross. Teach us how to lose our lives, how to participate in sacrificial love. That's also good, albeit very, very painful. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with us this year. Let me end with just a few practical things. Because this is all very um, abstract. Like most of you are like, okay, that's great. That's, I, I think that's good. I like that. I like the, the bit when you tell the stories. But what do I, what do, I do with this? What do I do with this? Let me give you some practical thoughts. Um, number one, as we begin another year of life, number one, practice sitting or walking quietly with your Bible open. Open your hands before you and meditate on the words of our Father. Receive from Jesus what you cannot receive from, receive from another. Practice this. Um, it's no accident that we always start the year. The second week of January is the, the week, as Casey said, that we all sort of agree, like, hey, let's pray and fast together for five days. And we do it. And every year I sort of give it my best go. I, I make my appeal, say, guys, if you've not done it, go for it. And for some of you, it might actually mean like, yep, yeah, I only drink a smoothie a day for five days. And I promise you, you will feel like you're going to die by the end of the fifth day. And you will not. Um, 
Don't attempt it if you have like medical reason not to, okay? Just qualify that. For others, it'll be like, dude, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna like fast from my smart device for five days. And there's all sorts of creative ways that you can actually say no to something that might otherwise, I don't know, just be a distraction while you could be sitting quietly with your Bible open, meditating on Psalm 21. And saying, Lord Jesus, um, I don't know what this is supposed to feel like exactly, but I'm told that you love me. I need, I need to know that you love me. I need to experience this, perhaps in a way I've never done before. And you sit quietly, you still yourself, and you receive. That's about as much as I could, I could sort of tell you. It's, it's a little different for everyone. There's no formula to it, but it's more of a, a posture, a willingness to say, Lord Jesus, I do need you. I do need you. Um, and if you don't get it from him, you will attempt to get it from me or a friend or someone else, and they'll give it their best shot. But inevitably, they'll come up short, and then you'll resent them for it. I see it over and over and over and over again. We're meant to love each other and be like conduits of God's grace and love for each other. But I cannot literally be Jesus for anyone in this world. I can't. Not for my kids, not for my wife, not for my church. And I see it happen over and over. People want what Jesus offers, but they haven't practiced receiving it from him and so they try to get it from others, and it's why people end up just getting disillusioned and, and leaving full of resentment. And I know that's a little, little harsh, but that, that's, that's, that's true. Practice sitting or walking, whatever helps you, quietly with your Bible open and receive from Jesus what you cannot receive from another. Number two, I have four of these. Number two, practice confessing. So this does take other humans. Practice confessing your sins, your fears, your unfulfilled hopes, and your pain to others, to some trusted brothers and sisters. It's a humbling discipline. And Jesus loves to meet the vulnerable like a moth to the light. God gives grace to the humble, and we confess our sins, or even our resentment, our unfulfilled hopes, our fears, our dreams, our desires. We begin to be vulnerable with another. Jesus is in that. And we experience his presence in a way um, that I personally, I don't experience in any other moments. Um, here's a bit of a critique against the Protestant church. So I've, I have Catholic friends who I love and adore who love Jesus. In fact, my fourth grader is going to a Catholic school at the moment. I'm still not sure exactly how I feel about that. It's a great school, but I don't know. I've got mixed feelings. Um, but the, the, one of the things that I've always admired about the Catholic church is that they believe confession is a sacrament. That when we confess our sins to one another, as the Bible commands us to do, we experience God's grace in that moment, in that interaction. 
I think it's one of the more practical means of experiencing God's presence. It's not, it's not super mysterious. It's very humbling to confess my weakness to another person. And then God meets me in my humility. He meets me in my brokenness. Jesus comes to me in my vulnerability. And that's a practice, a discipline, if you will. That's the second one. Two more. Number three, practice giving generously to others. One of the great temptations in life is to give to others what you think they deserve. Uh, to keep the books balanced. But to walk with Jesus is to practice not balanced giving, but the way of radical, sacrificial love. If you think about the year, think about your time, think about your money, think about all of the resources that you have available. Some have way, way more, some have much less we've all got something think about ways to practice generously giving to others because that is the way of sacrificial love it's getting to participate in the love that God has for you because this is how God in Christ has loved us he doesn't give us what we deserve on the contrary he gives us like the extreme opposite it's unreal Instead of cursing us and sending us to hell, Jesus suffers hell for us on the cross and then offers us grace and mercy and his affection and hope. I mean, it is is truly a scandal. This is sacrificial love. One more. So these, just to kind of loop us back a little bit, So I'm 21, could be the best year of your life. There's a lot of promises in the Bible that I believe we are uh, theologically well within our rights to say, yes, I'll take that one. Yes, please. I'm a child of God. I'm a co-heir. I'll take it. Bless me, please. No, no, like really bless me, God. Like heal me. Resurrect the dead thing in my life in Jesus' name. That's not some weird charismatic thing to do. That's like, that's just like basic Bible. I'm a child of God. I'm blessed. Psalm 22, mm, that's true as well. There will be moments in life, sometimes very, very long moments that don't end with happily ever after. They end with, well, we can all imagine the things that we don't want to imagine we don't experience the hope we long to, to um, we don't experience the fulfillment of our hope, of our longing until we actually go home to be with Jesus. And that's true too. But whatever the case, whatever season of life you're in, know this, Jesus is with you. He walks with you. He leads you beside still waters You needn't fear the darkness because he's with you. How is he with you? How do we experience the withness of God in Christ? We practice receiving. We practice confessing. 
practice giving. And finally, I had to think about this because I could, I could, I mean, I could list off a hundred things, right? Like all the things to do. Here's the last one. Practice showing up. Just practice show, like what we've done this morning. Well done. We did it. First day of the year. You're just here. You know, I, it's tempting to want to like get the plan, get the steps, solve the problem, and then like get on with the action plan. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's okay. But more often than not, like we don't know the plan. We don't know how it's going to work. We don't know what to do next. But we can show up. When Jesus, before Jesus ascended, where he now sits enthroned in heaven, he told his disciples, just meet me in Jerusalem. That's it. That's all they knew. No game plan. And they had questions, legitimate questions. But Jesus said, just meet me in Jerusalem. Don't go anyplace else. Don't do anything. Just meet me. Just show up at the meeting. And they did. And they were filled with the Spirit, and they went on. And maybe you know the story. There's, a, there's a, a, a cool, slightly weird theme that exists um, in the Old Testament in particular when God uh, will begin to speak to an individual, often quite unexpectedly in a, in a relatively spectacular way. Maybe it's Moses or it's Samuel or, you know, one of these cool prophets that you can read stories about in the Old Testament. God will will kind of, quote-unquote, show up in a moment and speak to a human, and they'll respond by simply saying, here I am, which is a weird thing to say. Here I am. But it tells me that God is really just expecting me just to, like, be present. I don't have the plan. He's got the plan. I don't have the answers. I don't know what to do next. I don't have it all figured out. And I'm not speaking like, like abstractly now. I'm, I'm literally, I'm confessing to you. Like most of the time, I have no idea what to do in life in any given moment. There we go. It's like they're, they're, the facade's ended. I don't know what you think about me or how smart you think I am. But most of the time, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a good dad. I don't know how to be a good husband. I don't know how to be a good pastor. I mean, I want to, and I try really, really hard, but then when it comes right down to it, I'm like, God, I don't know. I I don't know. I am making it up as I go. And most of the time, I'm just fighting the, uh, what do they call it, like um, like a fraud syndrome? Thank you, imposter, see, I don't know what I'm doing. Imposter syndrome. I don't know what I'm doing. And I've learned that it's okay. It's okay. Welcome to life. Welcome to life. Just show up. Just be present. Resist the temptation to have to have a tidy, logical explanation for everything the Holy Spirit may lead you to do. You're not going to do a lot. You're always needing to make sense out of everything. Like being a part of a small group. Bit of a shameless plug. I'm such a big believer in being a part of a small group. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. And I've been in a lot. 
I've been in some lame ones. I've led some lame ones. And I've been some, some that I just I wish it had never ended. I'm like, that was it. That was somehow we had stumbled onto the secret sauce. And I just, I just look, every week, I look forward to meeting with these people. And it was so wonderful. Jesus just met with us. And the other weeks, I'm like, dude, can we just end this thing? Is it just me? Or do, or do we all just hate this? But you kind of carry on. And you carry on. You carry on. And I realize, if I just show up, Jesus might meet me there. If I just come to church on a Sunday morning, with a relatively soft heart, Jesus might meet me there. If I just come to the worship night, if I just, just keep, keep on meeting with that person that I've committed to meet with, maybe Jesus will do something in a moment. Keep showing up. Stay the course. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. In due time, you will reap a harvest if you keep showing up.